You've got questions, and I might have some answers. It's time for a special edition Locked on Seahawks Sunday Q&A. Let's get to it. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks for joining in for this special edition Sunday Q&A session. Didn't have five episodes like we normally do this week, had some things come up with the family that prevented us from doing a show on Thursday, so didn't get our normal mailbag segment in like we do on Thursdays. Going to dedicate an entire episode here coming out of the offseason program, now six weeks until training camp. Looking forward to answering your questions. So let's get to it. Our first one here coming from JB Black. Could Drew Locke actually turn out to be a quality starting quarterback? Absolutely, he could. You look at the physical tools, and I've mentioned this a few times over the past few months since the Seahawks made this trade, sending Russell Wilson to the Broncos, that Drew Locke has the physical tools to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. A very good one at that. If he can put everything together. He's got the arm talent. He can make all the throws. He can launch the ball downfield. He throws with precision at times. There's examples when he throws with a touch. He can make difficult throws off his back foot, off platform. He's underrated as an athlete. He checks off so many boxes. The problem has been the decision-making has been very suspect in his first three years in Denver. How much of that has been his fault? Depends which way you look at it, because there have been some changes in offensive coordinator. Then his second year, going into his really his first full season as starter, the Broncos brought in a couple rookie receivers. And you had the COVID-19 pandemic that knocked out the entire offseason program. You had just Zoom meetings. And then you go to training camp. It was not a normal training camp due to the pandemic. That set him back tremendously. Some of that's on him. Some of it's on the circumstances. So the physical tools are there. Got to see if Shane Waldron and company can – get this guy to play up to his potential because the talent is there. If he doesn't turn the football over, make smart decisions and really understands the offense, then he's got a chance to be the starting quarterback in week one and maybe end up being a pretty solid starter. But based on what we've seen the last couple of years, that's a big if he's going to have to go out there and he's got to prove himself. Next question here from Sean Haley. If the Seahawks have a top defense combined with a top running game, is it imperative to actually have a top 10 quarterback? So that's a really good question, Sean, because everybody looks at the elite quarterbacks and many believe you have to have an elite one to win a Super Bowl. And I think in today's era, that's a bit more true than it may have been 20, 25 years ago when teams were running the ball more than what they do now and defense was king. In today's pass-happy NFL, well, the spread offense is the way the game has changed. I do think having an elite quarterback is a much bigger part of that equation. At the same time, statistics show that quarterbacks that are among the league leaders in money per year, the highest paid don't necessarily win a lot of Super Bowls or even get there. It really absorbs a lot of the cap space that you could be using on other players. So you've got to find that balance a little bit. But going back to your question here, if the Seahawks have a top 10 defense, which I truly believe that they could have one, if the young pass rushers that they have put it together as a group, the interior defensive line continues to stuff the run the way they have the last couple of years. Cody Barton comes in and plays well as a starter next to Jordan Brooks, an emerging potential all-pro player. You keep Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams healthy. 
you mix and match your backup safeties into the lineup, your cornerback group comes together. They've got some fascinating guys at that position. I think that can be a top 10 defense. And then the running game, I absolutely believe can be a top 10. I think the one thing that may hold them back is the state of the offensive line. When you have two rookies potentially starting at the tackle spots in week one, even though I think Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas both have the potential to be very good starters in the NFL, they're going to be rookies. They haven't played in the league. They're coming from pass-heavy offenses that don't play much of a three-point stance. The Seahawks don't seem concerned by that, but that is a real issue that they're going to have to deal with acclimating to the league. But if you can get solid run blocking out of those guys with the interior offensive linemen they have, Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson are still really good run blockers, then this could be a very potent run game. I think you put those two things together especially the run game, it takes a lot of pressure off of the quarterback, whether it's Geno Smith or Drew Locke. We saw Geno Smith last year play pretty well off play action, and that run game wasn't anywhere near where it was at late in the season. I would have been really interested to see what Geno Smith did with the way Rashad Penny was running at the end of the year. And Drew Locke, Denver's run game was average at best, and he was really good on play action his rookie year. Production was not as good the last couple seasons, but I think he's certainly capable of being dominant in the play-action passing game. It would take a lot of pressure off those guys, and you wouldn't necessarily have to have a top-10 quarterback. You just need to have average play when you have a great defense and a great running game, and you need a quarterback that's not going to turn the football over, not make pivotal mistakes. If you can do that and you have those other two categories checked off for top-10, then you can be a really good football team and win a lot of games in this league, even with it being a pass-happy league. Next question here from Alex Schultz. Is this the year the tight ends finally have a big impact? I like the addition of Fant with Disley. Another year in the system could be big. I do think that this is the year that the tight ends become involved. And there's a couple factors behind this. I'm going to mention it right now, having a different quarterback. If there's an advantage for not having Russell Wilson under center, and I don't even know that's necessarily that Russell Wilson can't throw to tight ends, but that has never been a strong point for him. When Jimmy Graham was here, Jimmy Graham put up some pretty nice numbers, but at the same time, it just didn't feel like he ever quite fit in with the offense and that he and Russ ever really developed the chemistry everybody was hoping that they would. And they've had some really good tight ends come in the last couple of years, and yet the numbers just haven't been there. And part of it is his hesitancy to throw to the middle of the field. I think that when you look at Geno Smith and Drew Locke, what they did on the practice field even the last couple of weeks, these two guys are going to attack the middle of the field more as the quarterback whoever gets the start in week one and beyond. So I think the tight ends will be involved more just by that. And then you add in the fact that you know Shane Waldron coming from the Rams offense, being the passing game coordinator, he was a tight end coach there at one point. You know that he wants to run a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends in the field. He wants guys that are capable pass catchers at the position. I just think that he's going to be more in sync with what he wants to do this year Maybe it's going to be with the different quarterback under center that allows that to happen, but running the offense the way that he wants to. And I think you're going to be able to get the football to these guys. And then just look at the personnel. Will Disley's production as a receiver has not been great the last two years, but I don't know how much of that is really on him. He's not a burner, like Drew Locke said after practice a few weeks ago. This guy is not going to beat you with speed, but he's a quality receiver. He's a very savvy football player. I could see him having more production in his third season post his second severe injury. And I think Noah Fant still has star potential. This is a player that was impacted by a lot of things going on with Denver on their offensive side of the football the last couple of years, but he's still got four or five speed. He can win as a vertical threat. He can win in the short game. He can break tackles. He can create after the catch. 
There's a reason Seattle promptly picked up that fifth-year option. They believe that he can be a star in this offense. And I think Colby Parkinson is still the player you don't want to sleep on either. Because Colby Parkinson is 6'7". With the speed that he possesses, he should be a true red zone nightmare. His foot injuries have hurt him the last couple of years. He had a great training camp going and then re-injured his foot last year. If he can avoid that happening this August, I think Colby Parkinson has a chance to be an impact player finally this year in an offense that should use the tight ends more. So I think there's a lot of reasons why this is a year that finally everything clicks. And I do think that the quarterback change, there's going to be plenty of disadvantages to that. But I think that the tight end group, it's going to benefit them having a different quarterback under center in either Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Next question here from Saijan. How does Ken Walker fit in with the current running back situation? Who's number one, two, or three? Well, some of this really depends on where Chris Carson's status is at. But I, at this point, again, I'm pulling for Chris Carson. I hope that he can play if he's cleared and he's allowed to play. He can get out there because he's been such a great player for the Seahawks. And I think he's one of the more underrated running backs in the NFL when he's healthy. But you drafted Ken Walker the third in the second round for a reason. You believe that this kid can be the bell cow at some point. I think Rashad Penny is your first running back to open the season. The way he played late last season, he showed he can be an elite player as long as he's healthy. And Ken Walker the third is going to be nipping at his heels, looking for as many carries as he can get. And who knows, he might be starting at some point this season. But Right now, I would say that he's clearly number two behind Rashad Penny, but this could really end up being a 1A, 2A type thing where both of them are getting a lot of carries, especially with the quarterback situation, more emphasis on the run game. I think Walker's really going to have a chance to explode as a rookie and have some big games. I think he's going to have a key part in this backfield rotation, regardless of whether Chris Carson is available to play or not. This bonus episode of Locked on Seahawks is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in all your favorite sports, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, special edition Sunday episode, answering your questions, live stream, Q&A. So let's continue our next question here coming from the Relicon. Do you think the abundance of diversity, size, and skill of the defensive back group can entice defensive coaches to try more exotic diamond quarters coverages, perhaps a 4-1-6 with Brooks as the solo inside linebacker? This is an excellent question, and I think there's a very good chance that we are going to see the Seahawks run more dime than they have at any point in Pete Carroll's coaching tenure. You look at the personnel that Seattle has first and foremost. This is, again, assuming Jamal Adams and Quandary Diggs are fully healthy. It looks like they're going to be ready for training camp. So right now, I'd be surprised if either one of them are not ready for the start. But you have those two. You have Ryan Neal. Marquise Blair is going to be on the men. They're hoping to have him back in action. They have a couple undrafted rookies at the position that I'm intrigued by as well. Scott Nelson coming out of Wisconsin. Joey Blunt coming out of Virginia. Bubba Bolden from Miami. Ugo Amadi can play safety. There's a lot of really good football players at the safety position. It might be the deepest position on Seattle's roster. 
You want to get as many of those guys in the field as you can. Last year, Ryan Neal, early in the season, was not getting many snaps. And it seemed like when he was on the field, things good things just happened. So I think they're going to try to find ways to get him on the field. Marquise Blair, whether it's at slot corner or playing as a sixth defensive back, they are going to have to find ways to get these players on the field. The personnel says they should be doing that. And secondly, Sean Desai coming in. You look at what he did at the Bears as defensive coordinator last year. They ran a lot of nickel. They ran a fair amount of dime. They played three safety sets frequently. So I'm anticipating that his presence is going to have a lot of influence on what this defense does too. I don't know if exotic is going to be the right word, but it does give you flexibility, especially with guys like Jamal Adams and Marquise Blair, who can wreak havoc as blitzers as much as they can, dropping back into coverage, playing in the box, really comfortable up there. It does give you some flexibility. So I do expect we're going to see the Seahawks running more nickel and dime packages. You might see those one linebacker sets where – Jordan Brooks or even Cody Barton is the only linebacker in the middle. I would think they're going to want those two on the field as much as possible together because Barton is a good cover linebacker and obviously Brooks is a great athlete there as well. But there may be times that they decide to do that and get six defensive backs in the field, especially in obvious passing situations on second and third down. Next question here coming from Matt Rupp. I need an answer. What are we doing with this cap space? What Honestly, the Seahawks don't really have a ton of cap space. And what is out there for them to go and get right now? Unless you are going to trade for Baker Mayfield or you're going to try to get Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously that would eat up most of your cap space. Seattle actually doesn't have enough right now to absorb all of Baker Mayfield or all of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract as it currently stands. And they're really bidding against themselves. Panthers have been shown interest as far as, you know, the, Baker Mayfield's uh, instance goes, but they don't have much competition trying to get either one of those quarterbacks. So John Schneider's not going to be giving up draft picks and then paying full price to get either one of those players. There's not a lot of free agent talent that's still out there at positions of need. You know, maybe you could bring in a veteran tackle to compete on the right side or to push Charles Cross, but you're not going to be bringing Dwayne Brown back. You want Charles Cross to be your starter on day one. You're not going to be adding a high price receiver. Pass rushers, you know, maybe you could go out and look at trading for somebody that is a veteran commodity, but they like the young guys they have there. It just doesn't really seem like they have a lot of areas that they would want to address right now with a splashy veteran signing. And given the state of the franchise right now, they're not in win now mode. This is not like the last four or five years where they've been trying to add veterans to the last minute to push them over the top. They are not in that position. So I think John Schneider is content sitting on some cap space this year. And then they can try to work some magic next offseason. Maybe some of that rolls over. That's something the Seahawks haven't done much, but they might do that now given the state that they're in. They say it's not a rebuild, but technically that looks to be where they are going right now. Eight ball pool man here. Will Rashad Penny continue his good performances? So I've been asked this by a few people away from the podcast on social media. How much did the last five games bear on the offensive line and how much did it bear on Rashad Penny? And obviously the blocking was fantastic for him down the stretch, but I think this was truly an example of everything coming together because you could see the electric running ability that Rashad Penny brings to the table at 230, 235 pounds. There are not many backs that size that can run like that. And you can make the argument, even with a smaller sample size, 
There is not a back in the league that is a more lethal home run threat than Rashad Penny. You look at those last five games, seven runs of 25 yards or more. Jonathan Taylor had eight the entire season to lead the NFL. Penny tied him, and he had more than 200 fewer carries. It's just ridiculous. So you could look at the offensive line. Yes, they're springing him. They're allowing Rashad Penny to get to the second level. But, you know, there are other offensive lines in the league that open up things for running backs. You don't see those type of explosives. So you've got to give the running back the credit, too, for the ability to just go from zero to 100 in an instant. His acceleration at that size is just filthy. And we haven't been able to see that consistently. There were signs earlier in his career that he was showing he could be that first-round caliber player Seattle thought they were getting, and he just couldn't get healthy. Finally get to see that. That is the key. Is he going to be able to stay on the field? If he can, then I absolutely believe he's going to have a great chance to pick up where he left off last year, and he can compete among the best running backs in the NFL, maybe push for a rushing title, even with some of the other running backs Seattle's got. That's the kind of talent we're talking about in Rashad Penny. The injury history obviously clouds things. And you get, it's a risk fantasy-wise for those of you that are looking from a fantasy perspective. But Rashad Penny clearly has top five running back talent. He's just got to be able to stay on the field. He showed it last year. Next question here coming from David Moore. Is there any news on Alex Collins? Any chance he will be back? I love the way he stepped up for us last year until he was banged up. So I never rule out a veteran running back coming back, but the Seahawks just they really don't have a need. I mean, if Chris Carson is not able to come back, which signs are clearly pointing that direction right now, the player is hoping that he can get cleared here next week in Dallas. But right now, signs are pointing to him not being able to play coming off that next surgery. Then maybe Seattle at that point, if they move on from Carson, they release him. Maybe they would call back Alex Collins to bring him in for training camp. But I just at this point don't see it happening. I think last year was a great opportunity for him, and then he got banked up, didn't do much. Second half of the year, Rashad Penny exploded. You just drafted Ken Walker the third. They've still got DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, who they like. Uh, Josh Johnson, they really are high on too. He's not a guy to count out in this running back competition. So they could sign him. I just don't know that that's going to happen at this point. Carson gets cut. That may change things a little bit of that front, but I've heard nothing on Alex Collins and I would be surprised if they ended up bringing him back, at least for training camp. Danny McCormick, what do you think will be the biggest difference in the secondary? We all have an idea how the front seven will look. I think the biggest difference is going to be Kobe Bryant. And I've been saying this for a few weeks. I think Kobe Bryant has a chance to start on week one for the Seahawks, whether that's across from Sidney Jones. That would be my prediction right now. Or maybe Artie Burns, a guy that knows Sean Desai really well, played well for the Bears last season. Right now, I would predict it's Sidney Jones and Kobe Bryant. There's just something about this kid. When you watch the college tape, what he did at Cincinnati, I mean, this is not a case where quarterbacks were just throwing the football at him because they wanted to pick on him. I mean, he had a Mod Gardner on the other side. They didn't want to throw at him, and he dominated. Won the Jim Thorpe Award last season. Over 20 pass breakups, nine interceptions in four years playing consistent snaps at Cincinnati. Not the greatest athlete, but he compensates for it with his football IQ, his technique, his ball hawking savvy. He's got incredible hands. You can see it at OTAs. And he didn't even get to jump the football most of the time because the rules that are put in place. I am really curious to see what he looks like when we get into real football in August. Padded practices, this kid will come up and he'll hit you too. He's just a complete football player. 
that to me is the difference. You keep your safeties healthy. You mix and match your backups in there in your nickel and dime sets. And a guy like Kobe Bryant, maybe Trey Brown comes back healthy too. But there's going to be quite a competition there. I really think Kobe Bryant's got a chance to be a difference maker on day one for the secondary as a fourth-round pick. That would be a huge hit for the Seahawks in the draft department. Next question here from Alexander Reigns. Which rookie has the best year for the Seahawks? Whew. That's kind of a tough one because I really like a handful of these kids that they have brought in. Charles Cross is probably the one that I'm most excited about being a top 10 pick that I expect to start on day one. But tackles don't win Rookie of the Year awards. It's never happened, in fact. There has never been a tackle that has won Rookie of the Year. It's always a skill position player that wins it, which is why Ken Walker III, I've mentioned how great I think Rashad Penny can be, but Ken Walker III, I think, can be a top five running back in the NFL. He is a fantastic talent, elite burst, great ball carrier vision, really patient runner, but he knows when to explode through creases. And, you know, just he's the complete package. I think he's got to work on his pass protection stuff. But this is a kid that I could see, especially if Rashad Penny has some injuries this year, I could see Ken Walker III stepping into a starting role and really dominating. He has got the type of talent to come in and immediately make a difference. And you see that at running back more than a lot of positions anyway. These guys are ready to hit the ground running literally and figuratively. I think Ken Walker III has a great chance to do that. So on the offensive side, it would be him. On defense, I've thrown the name Boy Mafe out there because of his electric athletic ability. I just don't know how many reps he's going to get right off the bat with Daryl Taylor and Chen Nwosu in front of him. I'm going to keep throwing Kobe Bryant out there as a dark horse to watch because if he starts in week one, he's going to get his hands on the football one or another. That's just what he does. If he can get a handful of interceptions, he got a chance to be in the mix for defensive rookie of the year. So those would be the two I would watch. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas will be fun to watch too. But offensive linemen, as I mentioned, they just don't win awards. So if you're looking at rookie of the year candidates, Ken Walker III and Kobe Bryant would be two that I would keep a very close eye on. Saijin, are we really a sleeping giant? And I mentioned this, this actually was the first quarter of a show that I did, I believe, on Wednesday, breaking this down. I think that Lewis Riddick, the ESPN analyst, had a point when he was making this argument in the sense that there is a lot of returning talent for the Seahawks. Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Jordan Brooks, Puna Ford, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. You bring in Noah Fant to go with Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. You've got some experienced talent in the interior on your offensive line. You think you upgraded at center. The talent, they've got it running back. Quarterback is obviously the huge cloud that's hanging over this team, though, with Drew Locke and Geno Smith as the quarterbacks. And that's where the Jimmy Garoppolo argument, argument came in from the analyst, uh, Lewis Riddick. And I think that what he said made some sense. Not that I necessarily think that they should be going out and getting Jimmy Garoppolo, but if he's available on waivers, then it would make some sense for them to bring him in at a much lower price. And maybe that is the missing piece, having an average quarterback that has led a team to two NFC championship games and a Super Bowl, has played well against most teams, has not played well, ironically, against the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe that's created some bias for Seahawks fans because he has not played well in Seattle but he has played well against other NFC West teams. Maybe he could still do that in the Seahawks uniform. You also look at the draft classes. I've mentioned a number of different names. This is a group that's got a lot of players that could play big snaps early, and this could be the best draft class Seattle's had in quite some time. So I think when you consider those factors, 
what Lewis Riddick said makes some sense, but that quarterback situation looming over the team, I don't know that sleeping giant is necessarily the right term with that most important position being where it's at for Seattle right now. If you can get average play from that group, though, whether it's one of the two guys competing now or somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo with the talent of the rest of the roster, some of the young players they brought in, maybe this team will exceed expectations. We'll have to wait and see, but we do know that not every expert thinks the Seahawks are going to be terrible this year based on what Lewis Riddick said. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30 50 or even 100% more for the same parts? at a chain store or a car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could possibly need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right lapped on in there, how'd you hear about us, Fox? They know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com you're listening to the locked on seahawks podcast special edition sunday live stream q a i'm your host corbin smith thanks as always for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week in this case six days a week maybe with a special edition sunday episode greatly appreciate it continuing our q a's next question coming here from danny mccormick who would you compare Daryl Taylor to, current or former players on any team, not just the Seahawks? I actually talked about this on Sports Radio KJR a few weeks ago. Daryl Taylor was my spotlight player. I think that Robert Quinn is a really good cop for Daryl Taylor. And the reason I threw this name out also, some of you may know, Sean Desai was the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears last year, and he mentioned this after their OTA last Tuesday. Robert Quinn was a player that I think a lot of people believed was washed up, was over the hill going into the 2021 season. And all he did in Sean Desai's defense, playing as an outside linebacker, stand-up two-point linebacker, 18 and a half sacks. And this is a player that sacked the quarterback a lot in his career. Russell Wilson knew that all too well when Robert Quinn played for the Rams earlier in his career. So that would be the guy that comps really well to me. I think that Daryl Taylor's got a little more – confidence in coverage maybe than what Robert Quinn does because of his experience doing it at Tennessee, maybe a little bit better for that three, four hybrid. But in terms of pass rusher, I see a lot of parallels, similar size, quick first step can win with speed, can win with speed going to power underrated bull rusher. So if Daryl Taylor can end up being Robert Quinn, especially the one we saw last year playing in Sean Desai's defense, and he can get up there getting 15, 16 sacks that's going to make the entire rest of this defense much better. So that, to me, that would be the comp for Daryl Taylor if we're looking from a peak performance standpoint. There might be some other players that haven't been as good that would make good comparables right now, but I think when you're looking ceiling, it would be Robert Quinn. Austin WK, can Drew Locke be a Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff with upside? Use the Waldron offense to spread the ball around in the short game. Sure he could. Uh, 
I don't know that that's necessarily his playing style, though. And Pete Carroll's talked about wanting a point guard. I think that you can be a point guard running an NFL offense and still launch the field, launch the ball downfield. We saw Russell Wilson do that. Russell Wilson did not throw a lot of interceptions during his 10 seasons with the Seahawks. He did a really good job protecting the football, but he also launched the ball downfield. And I think you're going to see Drew Locke wanting to do that more so than what Geno Smith is going to. That's just more his style. He's more of an aggressor at the quarterback position. So the key, again, goes back to decision-making. If he's making the right choices and taking advantage of the talent he has on the outside, he's still going to launch some of those balls downfield. But if you can have more consistency from him checking the ball down and being willing to take those short passes when the deep ball is not there and being smart with the football, throwing with anticipation and touch, then, yeah, maybe he can thrive in this offense the way that we saw Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco do or that we saw Jared Goff playing for the Rams with Shane Waldron on the coaching staff. Maybe, just maybe, Drew Locke can be the next guy. And I've talked about it time and time again. There are a lot of ifs when we're talking about Drew Locke. But if you can put everything together, the physical tools are there for him to be a quality starting quarterback. And that could be a similar path to what we saw from those other two guys in the NFC West playing in offenses that did a good job masking their deficiencies and taking advantage of their strengths. I just think he's a little different style quarterback, a little bit more of a gunslinger than what those two other quarterbacks are. Waz versus Waz versus. I think that's how you're going to pronounce that there. Lamar Jackson to Seattle after this season. I don't want to, I don't want to damper your expectations here because I think Lamar Jackson playing in this offense with the running backs they have. He's never had receivers like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Baltimore. I think it would be really fun to watch, but I don't see that happening as much as there's been speculation that maybe the Ravens will just decide, you know what? We've tried to negotiate with Jackson. He doesn't seem interested. We're going to just trade him. There has been plenty of talk up there about that. I still think the Ravens are going to find a way to get this done. I think Jackson gets the long-term extension. I don't think they trade away their franchise quarterback who's significantly younger than what Russell Wilson was when the Seahawks decided to trade him in March. I don't see the Ravens doing that. It'd be really fun. It'd be really expensive. The Seahawks would have the cap space next year with Russell Wilson's contract coming off the books and certainly one of the most electric players in the NFL. But I just don't see it happening. Maybe after this season, we'll see how things play out if – there still seem to be a rift and both the Ravens and Jackson are having a hard time figuring out the contract situation, then maybe we can revisit this. But I think right now it's a pretty slim chance he's playing for anybody other than the Ravens. I think they're going to get that contract done. Robert Wiggin, will we see possible position changes on the offensive line? Lewis to center, Curhan to guard. I never will rule out the possibility of Damon, Damian Lewis playing center because we saw him play one game there as a rookie, and I thought he held up fairly well with a couple practices before then. It's not like he had been training during training camp to play this position. He had never played a game there. So I will never rule out the possibility Seattle will do that. I do think with Austin Blythe now being here, somebody that knows Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron well, starting a bunch of games for the Rams over the years, I don't see them making that move unless Blythe gets hurt or just really stinks it up in training camp early in the season and they are forced to make a move. I don't see that happening. Now, Jay Curhan to guard, he's already getting some reps there. He played some snaps in regular season games there last year, and that might ultimately be a better long-term fit for him because there are athleticism questions. He may be better blocking in a phone booth. I didn't necessarily see that 
with his reps at guard, but he hadn't played there very much. So you have to give him that break a little bit, a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. But I certainly think it's possible that if Abraham Lucas is your starter and they like Stone Forsythe at right tackle now too, the Seahawks might decide, you know what, Jay Curran, your better chance of playing down the road for us is at guard then he may very well be shifted inside playing there, especially with Phil Haynes being an unrestricted free agent next year and Gabe Jackson getting older might not be a good idea or might not be a bad idea to have a guy like Jake Curhan that you can develop over time at that guard position and maybe he can play some meaningful snaps for you. Otherwise, I don't see any other major changes with returning offensive linemen. I think that they're going to have their two rookies playing extensive snaps at tackle. They're going to have Lewis and Jackson at the guard spots and Blythe at center. Next question here. This year, our secondary develops. Next year, our secondary becomes the best secondary in the league. I, I don't, you know, I don't like going one year into the future without knowing what the rookies are going to play like. Nobody knows what this group is going to look like in 2023. You expect Jamal Adams, as long as he's healthy, is still going to be a very good football player. You think Quandre Diggs has a number of great seasons left in him. You've got some really good young corners that you're intrigued by. Is there a possibility this could end up being one of the better secondaries in the league in a year or two? Absolutely. Could it be a group where some of the young guys don't develop and then things fall flat or you have an older player that gets banged up to the point where he starts to decline? Those are all factors we have to consider. I think that this secondary is set up for success long-term. I like the young guys they brought in, but we still need to see what they look like in camp, how they respond to playing in the NFL, how much they play as rookies. So I would anticipate that this is something we'll have to revisit down the road. I'm I'm excited. I'm optimistic about this group, but there's still a lot of what ifs with some of the young guys and no true long-term answers yet at the quarterback position. We have to wait and see on that. Eric Gilbertson, can you give a brief explanation of the difference between cover two and cover three? The rumored new defensive scheme. Pretend I'm a first grader. So, okay, if you want to go with the first grader explanation, okay, the first thing, cover three is a middle of field close scheme. And what that means is you have a single high safety that's in the middle of the field, a center fielder. Cover two is middle field of open, middle field open. You've got two deep safeties, two high safeties that are playing back there. The Seahawks ran more of that last season. In cover two, your corners are going to be camped in the flats. Cover three, they're going to be playing deeper. They're going to drop back further, and you're going to have three deep defenders with that safety in the middle. And in the interior, your middle guys at linebacker have slightly different assignments in cover two versus cover three. Cover two, you can have Tampa coverage where the middle linebacker drops back into the middle deep. That was made famous by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under Tony Dungy. A few other coaches have adopted that. Not as big in the NFL now. And in cover three, you can have your two middle linebackers that are sitting in the curl uh, hook. And then you've got your two other outside backers that can go out into the flats. So that's in a nutshell the difference without a diagram in front of me of explaining that. But basically when you're looking at simple differences, cover three, is your middle field closed? Cover two is middle field open. And we're seeing a lot more defenses run those type of schemes, cover four and cover six being other ones where you have the middle of field open and there's different ways that you can get to that look. Got time for one more question here. Oh, Roar, can the Seahawks get Eric Barrier or DeAndre Johnson to battle Geno Smith and Drew Locke? I don't think... 
that the Seahawks are going to be bringing in either one of those players to compete for the starting spot. They just had a couple undrafted rookies that they brought in. I thought Levi Lewis might intrigue them more, but he's 5'8". He was literally five foot eight, And so the Seahawks, after a week following rookie minicamp, moved on from him. If they're going to add another quarterback, it is going to be a veteran. It is going to be somebody like maybe a Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not going to be going out and signing an unproven rookie to bring in that's an undrafted guy. It's just not going to happen. I know that the local fans would love to see Barrier playing in Seattle, but was not in high demand after the draft as a priority free agent. Worked out for the Broncos. I don't even know if he's signed at this point, but I don't see the Seahawks going that direction. If they're going to upgrade the quarterback position, it'll be bringing in another veteran to compete against Lock and Smith. I would hedge bets right now unless one of those other veterans gets cut. It is going to be Geno Smith or Drew Locke. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, I'll be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang after missing most of last week out sick, hoping to have him back in the saddle. We're going to continue our position-by-position review. And we're going to go to the second cluster of our 90-player in-review breakdown, looking at numbers 85 through 81. Enjoy the rest of your Father's Day. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.